0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, January 31st, 2018 edition. This is show number 218. So, uh, wow, we're getting way up above uh, 200 now. We have uh, Matt Moreland on with us tonight. He is the meteorologist in charge in San Diego, California. But before that, he was uh, at the Key West office, meteorologist uh, in charge there. And uh, tonight's topic is going to be about Hurricane Irma as we uh, continue to recap some of the stronger hurricanes that affected the area uh, or the country uh, last year. So Matt's going to be joining us tonight to kind of talk to us about uh, what it was like to cover Irma uh, in her path as uh, as it moved through the Florida Keys. So uh, that is our show tonight. If you want to interact during the show, it is a live broadcast, and you can do that Uh, numerous ways. You can uh, watch us on Facebook Live or Periscope or even on our YouTube channel. And if you have any questions, feel free to ask them uh, in each uh, section. We'll be monitoring those and we'll uh, send those to Matt if you have any questions. And if you're listening uh, on the podcast uh, later on in the week or maybe on the YouTube video, we'll let Matt uh, share his uh, social media uh, platforms to you uh, at the end of the show. That way you can interact with Matt then. So, Uh, That is all the housekeeping rules. It has been a fairly quiet weather week here in the southeast, so uh, we'll talk about maybe some wintry potential uh, for the southeast towards the end of the show. But to uh, give Matt our uh, full undivided attention on this uh, interesting topic, I'll go ahead and hand it to Ricky Matthews, who, welcome back, Ricky. I know it's been a couple of weeks for you. I'll let you uh, transition into uh, the interview tonight.
1: All right, let's see if I remember how to do this thing. Thank you, Scotty, I appreciate it. Yeah, so happy to have Matt with us tonight. Uh, he's out in California now, but during the Heart of Hurricane season, Matt, you were uh, right down smack dab in Florida. So tell people a little bit about how you kind of got into weather, into the weather service, and then how you ended up in Key West for this lucky year.
2: Yeah, so uh, I, my actual event, my trigger event for getting into meteorology was Hurricane Alicia. Uh, so I grew up in Houston, Texas, and uh, Hurricane Alicia hit in 1983 when I was a little elementary school kid, and uh, that ever ever since that day is, you know, pretty much I was interested in weather. Uh, went to school in the 90s. Um, there was, you know, things were kind of bleak then, the the outlook for meteorology, uh, <clears throat> and so when we got to, like, junior year-ish, I was having a lot of second thoughts about the major. Uh, And then Dr. Joe Friday came down and spoke to my school. I went to Oklahoma Boomer Sooner, and uh, it was his one visit to the school that changed my mind back that I had to stay in meteorology. I've been in the weather service now for about 19 years. Uh, I started in Houston, so I was very lucky to start in my hometown office. Uh, and then I moved over to New Orleans. I was at that office for about three years. and then I was at Key West for about two and a half years before I came out here.
1: Did you pick Key West? Was that a, a city you know you're interested in because it seems like you like to live on the coast a lot?
2: Yes, I'm de- I definitely uh, like the coastal offices um, and yeah, I did you know that was high on my list at the time. yeah, so.
1: Explain to people kind of the Key West culture. If you've never been down to Key West, I mean, what is it like? I mean, obviously it's a chain of islands, right? But it's removed a little bit from Florida in the traditional way. I think a lot of people speak about Florida.
2: Yeah. So, you know, the culture is uh, some of it fits the stereotypes, uh, you know, where there's a lot of big festivals, a lot of partying that goes on. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, fishing, snorkeling, diving are huge down there. It really is world-class fishing. Uh, Tourism is really the biggest part of the economy, uh, really all throughout the Keys, but obviously especially Key West. Uh, But you also have a big segment of the population that lives there year-round. Their kids are in school. They actually, Monroe County, which includes the Keys, has one of the top school districts in Florida. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, so it's actually a great place to raise families. Um, it's very quiet uh, and almost no crime whatsoever. So you have you have a big segment of the population in the Keys about eighty thousand that live year round, and they've you know in some cases they've lived there for generations. Uh, politically, it is very separate from Miami. I mean, it's like two different worlds, really, uh, and that's one of the reasons why there is a separate national weather service office that serves the keys uh, because uh, and you see that with a lot of aspects, you know, we talk about media and and with media, a lot of the Miami media, they really try hard, especially the meteorologists try hard to wrap in the keys, but sometimes they get pressure from above that, you know, maybe not spend so much time down there. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, the, Politically and and obviously when it comes to like evacuations uh, you have this 120 mile long road that really is one lane because you, you always have to keep a lane open for emergency vehicles. So really you're looking at one lane that you're trying to get all the residents and tourists in the Keys out. So it's a very complex issue. How much do
1: people in the Keys prepare for hurricane seasons? I mean, you know, I grew up on the coast of Virginia, and while we face a risk of hurricanes, perhaps not as high as Key West in Florida, but a lot of times tropical cities seem to kind of become complacent. Is that kind of the culture that the Keys had adopted before this year, or were people very well prepared?
2: Well, uh, I think it, it varies on the year. You know, prior to the one thing that was, in a strange way was kind of a plus leading up to Hurricane Irma was the threat of Hurricane Matthew. So, you know, we all know that, that Matthew went up the east coast of Florida in October 2016. And that really was a scare for the whole state. And it kind of woke everybody up because the last, prior to that, the last um, hurricane to impact Florida, you know, there had been Hermine uh, earlier in the summer of 2016, which was really the panhandle region. Um, and prior to that, you have to go all the way back to Hurricane Wilma in 2005, and that was a big, big impact in the Keys. Not as big as Irma, but but huge impact. So there was, you know, you could definitely see there was a trend toward complacency, but I think having the scare of Hurricane Matthew helped with that issue. I also think just the incredible forecast of the storm. I mean, here you had Irma, you know, days and days out. It was already a category five in the Atlantic. It was a very, very well forecast storm. Uh, The forecasts were very, very consistent from forecast to forecast. So folks had a lot of time to prepare and a lot of confidence in what was going to happen. And I think that aided with, I think the final evacuation tally for Irma was around 75%, which really anywhere is considered a successful evacuation as far as the rate. Uh, but certainly in the Keys, um, you know, that goes down as very successful.
1: And so your office, which, what did you guys do as the storm started to approach? When was the, huh, this could really be bad moment that was yeah, I
2: struck say, on? Yeah, it was really Labor Day weekend. I think, is when we were, were starting to get that awareness. And I'm going to share a couple slides here. Um, so let me uh, let me just pull up it, because this will kind of help tell the story. <clears throat> so uh, this was... Uh, I, can you guys see the slide okay?
1: Yep, we're perfect. Got it.
2: Okay, great. So this was September 1st, um, and you can see how far out... The storm is at that point here it's a category two well east of the lesser antilles still five days out but forecast to become a major hurricane at this point and of course why did we pick this day to issue the briefing well at this point we're starting to get calls from emergency management some of our other partners and obviously all over social media you've got folks posting the long range models and they're all, you know, a lot of them are already pointing at Florida at this point. So it's starting to, uh, you know, handle those rumors that are out there, try to get a message going. So this is really, this is a full eight days before we had tropical storm wind impacts. So we went through Labor Day. So this is the Friday before Labor Day weekend. Uh, We went through the Saturday and Sunday at that point um we're we're still issuing the the briefings every day but but it was i would say by that sunday we were really like you know this this is going to be a major threat for our area Uh, as we got to monday so this is labor day and we were really trying to to slide through labor day and you know maybe we can wait until tuesday morning before we really start ramping things up but You can see the track there that that's the forecast that came out monday morning at 8 a.m you can see the five-day cone is getting very close to the keys and that's really what when the five-day cone touches the keys is really what starts to trigger a lot of the decision making there so we had our local office tropical emergency team convene that evening we met for about three hours and we made a lot of critical decisions that night Um, examples include Uh, you know, we decided to staff an extra desk for this event, uh, um, dedicated desk just to social media, which meant one additional desk. I think we went for seven desks altogether. Previous events, we had done six. Uh, so that was one of the critical decisions. We decided that we needed extra help. So we were going to request two meteorologists and an electronics technician, which we ended up getting. Uh, We knew we had to fill the generators up, uh, deploy the shutters, um, uh, you know, gas up our vehicles there. So a lot of those decisions were made with this local team meeting Monday night. And just a few little stats there about the building in Key West. Um, It is certified to wind gusts of Category 5 speed. Uh, There's anybody that's visited the office, the main ops area is the cat 5 shelter within that there's actually a safe room uh, that uh, is engineered for winds of 250 miles an hour and the floor is elevated to 14.5 feet so the building is designed to stay above uh, any flood waters that would occur so i'll uh let me go back now um, Ashley, I think you had a question you want to jump in with.
3: Yeah. So uh, you're talking about putting out briefings for your partners. Uh, emergency managers are starting to get ramped up. Uh, my question was, uh, did EM officials actually understand your forecasts and act on them well, or was there some confusion with understanding maybe the hazards and threats or maybe even some untrustworthiness? What was your take on uh, the understanding of emergency managers with this forecast?
2: No, I I thought it was well understood and um, we had a a new emergency management team in Monroe County that they've been there for about a year, year and a half new leadership there, Marty Centerfit. Uh, He did, he had come from Jacksonville, he did an outstanding job in the storm. Uh, And one of his, one of the changes he made to the program was to bring everyone into one call. So. Uh, You know, formerly we had maybe had several calls and uh, we weren't sure how that was going to operate, but really it was the right way to go because you had all our whole set of partners on one call getting one message. I thought it was well understood to the point where they actually triggered the evacuation a full day earlier than they normally would have. And that's, a, I think, a mix of both the messaging that was coming out, but also, like I said, the very consistent, high confidence forecast helped with that. So the, the evacuation um, was triggered on, um, it was announced on Tuesday. So it was started a day earlier than normal, and it was announced even a day earlier than that. So folks, so really, the day after Labor Day, everybody's back to work. And boom, by the way, we're going to start an evacuation tomorrow. And it was announced that tourists would evacuate beginning Wednesday morning and residents Wednesday evening. And I uh, let me see. I may have a good image of that, too. Yeah, here we go. I'll show you guys this one, uh, because this this kind of shows you how far out the storm was when these decisions were made. Um so you can see so you know at this point the storm the s- core of the storm is forecast to be near the keys on sunday morning it hasn't even reached the leeward islands yet and they're already announcing evacuations um, now there were some complications when the evacuation started on wednesday uh, number one was uh, the airport the key west airport was prematurely closed And there was uh, some politics behind that I won't get into. It was eventually reopened, uh, but by the time the airport was reopened, uh, the cost of the flights had gone up in some cases. Can you guys see my screen okay? Yep. Yep. Okay, great. Uh, Another one was gas shortages, and those actually stemmed from Hurricane Harvey. As you all remember, uh, after Harvey's impact on Texas, there was... A lot of gas shortages across the south, uh, and those were impacting the Keys as well. Another one, which was really a little bit lesser impact, but still an impact, was the fact that the storm was really forecast to affect the entire state. And obviously, you had a lot of evacuations that were going to be triggered up up and down uh, both the east coast and west coast of Florida. So that was a factor as well. Uh, As Tuesday, we already had extra staffing in the office. We were all hands on deck. The help that came in, uh, the folks that came in to help us out were there by Thursday morning. And then we also had the evacuation of employees' families. So, uh, you know, keep in mind that almost everyone that worked the storm, their families all left. So they didn't, in, in many cases, they didn't see their families for about two weeks from before the storm hit until well afterward.
1: Talk about that for just a second. I mean, you know, you were there during the storm, a lot of your staff members were there during the storm. It, it's an emotional, you know, personal connection, I imagine.
2: Yeah, it is. So, uh, you know, the best example of that is, you know, you get to Sunday morning, and I'll, and later on I'll show some images from then, you know, when the storm was crossing the Keys, but. You know, picture Sunday morning and you have the eye wall crossing the lower keys. You have folks in operations on shift uh, issuing the extreme wind warning, monitoring the storm, knowing full well that their property is probably being damaged while they're putting this warning out. So you can imagine the kind of pressure and the feelings that instills. And really, it it affected everyone there. Um, And then, of course, the question once the storm is over with is when does everybody come back? You know, when are the, when are the keys going to open back up again?
1: And, and, you know, a lot of people have asked why even keep people at an office when a hurricane's approaching. And you mentioned earlier how the office can pretty much withstand anything mother nature throws at it, but what is the main purpose of keeping staff at the weather Service office during the storm?
2: So, you know, really it's, it's, supporting those decision makers down there so uh you know we i we did have some pressure from above uh, it was not a great deal of that uh, had a lot of support from the weather service but i think it came from other parts of NOAA potentially about getting out we i actually on several occasions that week leading up to the impact you know basically said if you don't feel like you can handle this come let me know and and we'll, we'll do something, you know, we'll, we'll uh, you know, we'll make it work out. Uh, And, you know, there were about three calls that came down and initially it was the storm, you know, the core was forecast to hit the upper keys and we were only going to have tropical storm conditions. And it was like, well, this is a no brainer, you know? Well, by the time we got to Friday night, obviously, Uh, We were more concerned with getting the core of the storm in Key West as the track had nudged west a little bit. And Friday night, I met with every single meteorologist, every single person that was working in the office. What do you want to do? And not one person wanted to leave. Um, And, you know, this is Friday night as we're probably 18 hours from. The, the possible onset of tropical storm force winds so uh, so you know that and and really I think I don't think it would have worked out because if we had left, where would we have gone you know where where would we have gone to do our work? Uh, there's really no plan for that um, and and my push was, well, we've got to work somewhere we have to support our partners. The other thing is the media stated that sounded like there was really no one left in the Keys, and that wasn't the case at all. Um, Across the street is the Key West City Hall, literally across the street from the office. They've had had about 100 first responders, including the Key West City Manager and the mayor of Key West. They were all hunkered down in the storm. Uh, Some of the first responders were sort of like us, were staying no matter what, you know, that kind of dedication. Uh, And also in the city itself, there were over a thousand people still on the island. And this is just Key West. So there were a lot of people. And like I said before, about 25% of the Keys population stayed. Uh, They actually opened two shelters of last resort in Key West. And they both, one of them was the high school, and one was another government facility about three blocks from our office and they both filled to the brim they were both maxed out so we were there you know supporting partners all the way up Uh, our system stayed up all the way through the impact of the eye wall and the reason why that happened is normally most of your systems have a battery backup that lasts for a short period cell towers you know, our phone system that we have in the office, you know, all of that stayed up through most of the eye wall because of the backup. Well, then by midday Sunday, as the eye was lifting north of the keys, that's when stuff started to shut down. Uh, And I wanna give kudos to the Weather Service Office in San Antonio uh, because they did a seamless, I mean, really seamless takeover of our operations as we got into Sunday afternoon. Um, And they had to back us up for a week. And this is an office that they do back up Corpus Christi, but obviously they had not backed up the keys before. And I think it was very smart on the weather services part to have a backup site that was far away, not being impacted by Irma. And they did a fantastic job. And they were followed by Miami and Melbourne uh, that also provided backup for the office
1: what happens you know once you guys go offline and transfer over to the other office is it i mean does your i won't say job stop but i mean is it calmer in the office
2: yeah i mean to a degree so by the time you know so the storm started winding down sunday afternoon uh and the watches i think all of the headlines were dropped like 5 a.m monday morning so you wake up monday you have the hot You know stagnant conditions that follow a hurricane so it's blazing Sun outside clear skies and of course the damage Um, and really at that point what what happened was a lot of folks that those that were dealing with damage they got days off work and we just had a very skeleton crew that were answering phones we started the balloon launches again pretty quick Um, I think our first one might have been Sunday night I think we might have started the zero Z launch so we and we actually had to fax the data in <laughs> initially because AWIPS was down uh, so it's really answering phones and then we were coordinating with San Antonio especially on social media because they they were backing up everything and they were putting out social media information on the status of the keys uh, even post storm and we were relaying a lot of that to them uh, we stayed totally down for um about six days or so and then systems started coming up and we were fully back operational 100 percent by the 20th so really only 10 days 10 days after irma hit we were back to full operations again uh, but it was a gradual ramp up um obviously uh and all and all uh I'll let you go to the next question, I guess, before I go on.
1: Well, I mean, I'm questioning, you know, was there ever a time during the storm where you guys, I mean, had to take extra shelter or or were thinking this is not good outside? What was the, I guess, the peak moment of the storm for you?
2: Uh, Certainly Sunday morning. Uh, You know, the peak of the storm was from about seven to 10 o'clock Sunday morning. And that's when the eyewall crossed the, both sides across the Lower Keys, we missed the eye wall at the office by a matter of maybe a mile or two. I mean, it was very close. Uh, our highest wind gust we recorded at the office was 91 miles an hour. The airport, asos we had 94. It's possible the east side of the island we might have had some gusts around 100. So if you li- if you drove around Key West after the storm, most of the damage you saw was You know what you would see in a very strong squall line or a cat one hurricane that was kind of the level of damage you would see in key west there was some flooding on the east side of the island. you know parts of the island flooded not as much flooding as hurricane wilma in key west once you went two three islands up and you got up toward cudjo key ramrod key big pine key it was you know major damage in those areas Uh, and obviously much stronger wind gusts and surge impacts in those areas as well. So that was the Sunday morning was the scariest part because the wind stayed cat one, we never had to go into the second shelter. Uh, so we never got to that point. Um, but obviously you get to the peak of the storm, everyone's awake and either operationally working or, you know, just hunkered down, you know, waiting for the worst of it to be over. Uh, we did a lot of radio coverage. Uh, there's three main radio stations in the Keys, and we were on with them constantly. And for a lot of people, that was their primary source of information during and after the peak of the storm. Shea brought up a good
1: point uh,
2: about how
1: Irma interacted with uh, Key West a lot. What was your thoughts on that? And just what were some of the thoughts in the office when that was occurring?
2: So s- explain that
1: one. Well, it seemed like the system, and Shay, feel free to jump in here if you want. It seemed like the system, you know, how close it got to Cuba played somewhat of a role perhaps.
2: Yeah, for sure. So um, the fact that the storm kind of, you know, and it it was going to make that north-northwest turn, and it finally, you know, it slowed as it approached the north coast of Cuba the day before and interacted with land for several hours. That was definitely, um, if you will, a positive uh, for the Keys, is that knocked down the intensity a little bit. Um, Obviously, as of now, it went down as a cat four impact, and we'll see how the final report comes out. Uh, But, uh, you know, that that definitely was a benefit, the fact that it interacted with Cuba a little bit.
1: So, uh you, you mentioned some pictures you had were any post storm you want to share yeah definitely so um and, and if you will feel, try to explain these kind of visually a little bit we have a lot of audio listeners too and so
2: you can oh definitely them. sure you going? So let me um oops, wrong one yeah here we go so i got some uh these are some pictures from operations uh And you can see the all hands on deck approach and uh, the top left, that was what my office looked like. So, uh, you know, the typical hurricane event, we all raided Publix. We all raided the grocery store uh, the day, you know, in the days leading up to the event. And of course you just eat terribly, you know, cookies, you know, you're just sodas all day, uh, the hurricane diet and it goes on forever afterward. Uh, we, most of us camped out in the storm for about five days. Uh, it was about Thursday, the Thursday following the event that we had widespread power recovery, at least in Key West and Stock Island, which is the neighboring island to the east. And the hotels really started opening up. So Thursday, those that still didn't have power at home were moved into hotels. Up until that point, almost everyone was still camped out at the office. The top right there, uh, Jonathan Kurtz, he's at the Norman office, and Greg Hevner, he's at the Corpus office. They were our two visiting meteorologists, did an outstanding job. Uh, And then you see uh, some more pictures from operations on the bottom there. Uh, These are some pictures, so uh, some of the damage pictures now. So the top left picture is what the front of our office looked like Sunday afternoon. About four or five o'clock Sunday, it was safe enough to go outside. And I walked around the property and, and took pictures. And that's indicative of what we saw mostly just minor tree damage. Um, you know, really was the extent of the damage we had at the facility there. Uh, and you can see a picture of the shutters. Um, in that picture, you can see the shutters that were deployed. They're pneumatic shutters. So you actually, use air pressure to uh, launch them, and you can really launch the whole set of shutters in about an hour or two, not, not even that long around the building. The top right picture there and the bottom, the left two pictures on the bottom, those were all taken on Big Pine Key, which was really you know, the hardest hit of all the islands. And uh, the top right picture there was from Long Beach Drive, which is right on the shore, the southern shore of Big Pine Key. And and that's primarily surge damage. Uh, We estimated uh, surge levels of five to eight feet above ground. So you can see the level of damage that does. An interesting point though, is because of the building codes in Florida, the the main structures of, of most of the houses survived. So you didn't have the, you didn't see the, you know, the slabs wiped clean that that you sometimes have seen on other coastlines. But you can see the trees uprooted there. Uh, the bottom, the left picture on the bottom, and the middle picture on the bottom, uh, those are both from Big Pine Key. You can see how the canals were just filled with debris, uh, and the damage there. And that house in the middle had both wind and surge damage. So. Surge damage took care, took care of the first floor, and then the top, you can see the roof there, a part of it that was blown off because of the wind. And then the bottom right is another Key West picture that was taken at Bayside Park, which is very close to the office. And you can see the trees blown down from the north. So those are some pictures of damage um, from around the Keys. I'll talk about social media for a minute. Uh, So, changing the topic a little bit. But uh, we had uh, the tweet on the left there is one that the office sent out on Friday afternoon. And uh, you can see the number of shares it had and 13.2 million impressions. That article in the middle was uh, from the Washington Post. And Bill South, who he's a lead forecaster in Key West, he was handling, he was basically running the media and social media programs in the office during the storm. So he dictated that article with the Washington Post. So they had to, they scribed the article talking to him on the phone. Uh, Once the Post posted it, and this was Saturday, uh, Chelsea Clinton retweeted it and did a thank you message for both him and the entire staff for an event like this. Uh, Once all this happened, just everything exploded. Um, And we had, uh, we were doing interviews, a, a huge number of national and international interviews. I mean, some examples of the international ones, Ireland, New Zealand, Canada. Uh, those are just some examples of those. And then, of course, you had all the major national networks. Uh, TMZ interviewed the office at one point. So, And when the storm was over with, um, our overall number of impressions had gone from, I think, something like 200,000 in July or August uh, to September, we had 47 million audience impressions overall all of our posts combined so just an exponential growth in social media exposure and the office actually ranked third of all national weather service offices after the event um wait who possibly beat you say say that again who possibly beat you uh, i'm not sure i can't remember but of course they had to look it up you know <laughs> and it may have slipped since then i don't know but i mean when you consider that population wise key west is in the bottom five of of all the weather service offices out of 122 to be third is pretty impressive
1: sure so um let me ask this question did the keys i mean obviously there was a lot of damage significant damage did they kind of luck out in many cases could irma have been much worse.
2: Well, certainly uh, it's hard to say that to say it is lucked out because um, because of where the storm came in, if you take the Keys as a whole. It's very high impact for really 80 or 90 percent of the Keys. I mean, the least impacted part of the Keys, if you're to, to a comparison, really was Key West area. Um, and, it, and it overall, I think. And again, there's no final numbers, but I think the overall impact, the numbers in terms of damage will exceed, certainly exceed uh, Wilma from 2005. Uh, So there's, you know, was it the worst since maybe Hurricane Donna, which I think was 1960? I don't know. Um, But, you know, certainly if if the eye had come further west, it would have been much worse for Key West. There's no doubt about that. So you can certainly make that kind of statement about Key West specifically and maybe Stock Island, uh, where obviously if the eye had come right over Key West or just to the West, you would have had much more significant flooding and higher wind gusts in the Key West area.
0: Matt, you're, you're talking about your social media during the storm, and I know that uh, the San Antonio office did a lot for you guys, but was there any, any interaction with, with folks who were actually still left behind uh, in your coverage area? Were they tweeting or sending pictures? Uh, I know we talked about uh, Snapchat with the Snap Map. I mean, were you guys getting any kind of interaction from, from people who had been left behind of what they were seeing in their specific areas?
2: I think as time went on, that happened, but uh, we really, for about three days, two to three days after the storm, there was no, really no internet or cell coverage uh, anywhere. So it took, it wasn't till Tuesday night. Tuesday night, you could start to send a simple text. Um, and then as you got into Wednesday, Thursday, the internet speeds gradually came up where you could actually, you know, use Twitter on your phone that type of thing. Um, But certainly there was a lot of requests for information on when are the keys going to open up and and that sort of thing in the days that followed. And Monroe County Emergency Management uh, put out a lot of information and that was relayed, you know, via San Antonio and then via us once we took back over, um, you know, as much as we could share that information.
0: I got another quick follow-up with that. Um, I have friends that live in Key Largo, so I've been able to visit the Keys several times. And I know up in Key Largo, and I've been to Key West and uh, seen the people there. It seems like everybody's a close-knit community. Uh, Talk to us a little bit of how everyone came together after the storm, because Key West is obviously a top destination for tourism. Uh, Talk about maybe the recovery process and how that went.
2: Yeah, so let me... uh I'll talk about the coming together bit. I'm going to show a couple more pictures here. Um, So as we got to after the storm, uh, one thing that we discovered was uh,
3: we had three
2: phone lines that stayed up (laughs) and they were all of our old analog phone lines. Uh, So one was like our spotter phone and it's like a white, 1990s phone that we rarely used in the office. Um, and we, we had two like that, actually. One was our Rome's phone where we track no-weather radio alarms. And another one was the conference phone that was in the conference room. And uh, so for the days following the storm, uh, certainly for two or three days, we were really the only working phone lines on the island. And uh, City Hall across the street, well found out about that. So we started uh, being a host spot for the conference calls. There were The county was doing twice daily conference calls with all of the major partners dialed in. And uh, as a result, uh, not only were we hosting these calls at the office and hosting our partners to come in, but we also had partners that were coming in and using the office as a meeting space so that they had a working phone. So the pictures here uh, on the left there, that's Jim Scholl, who's the Key West Emer- uh, city manager, and then Roman Gostesi, who's the county administrator. So he's kind of the political connection of the county. They were together on a lot of these calls having to decide when the keys would open back up. And you know, obviously, there's a lot of politics involved in that. Very, very tough decisions that had to be made. Um, the bottom center picture there, the guy in the gray shirt that's kind of leaning over the table, that's Don DeGraw, who is the manager of the Key West Airport. Uh, he, his phones were down longer than some others, so he was utilizing our office quite a bit for that, but he had tough decisions to make on helping to bring supplies in and also when to reopen the Key West Airport. So a lot of big decisions being made and we're all working together here. Uh, at the weather office, uh, at the weather service office to help make these decisions. But it was amazing to watch the, the community come together. And just from the Key West perspective, um, you know, the partners are amazing to work with and, and, you know, certainly in that area, the recovery has been pretty fast. Um, uh, obviously it's taking longer as you go up the Keys, a lot of severe damage. Um,
1: Um, sorry, didn't didn't know what happened there for a moment. Live te- live television. Um, so Matt, t- talk to us just for a moment about some of the the numbers. Uh, Shay was interested in storm surge. What were the peak surges in parts of, of the area?
2: So really, the the peak surge that we had from the storm was um, five to eight feet above ground, and that was primarily in the zone from primarily ramrod key Cudjo key big pine key uh leading over into the marathon area and uh let's see are you guys i guess you guys are still seeing my screen there uh we are seeing you currently oh okay great good um <laughs> so and you know, and there were some that uh I don't want to say wanted it to be higher but you know why was it not higher than that and that was still a very significant storm surge obviously but you can see from some of the pictures that I showed er- earlier you know just the level of damage that was caused by by that level of surge
1: and it's just incredible always to me with hurricanes how much so many things go into surge um, what, what was the some of the main factors that kind of impacted the surge totals across the entire Keys?
2: Uh, what do you mean by main factors? Well,
1: I, I mean, what were some of the reasons some parts of the Keys were hit more than other parts? Was it just storm trajectory, or is it kind of the, the layout of the Keys? Or
2: yeah, certainly the traje- trajectory. So obviously, the east side of the the this where the center comes in is going to have the higher surge. Um, So that, the fact that the center came in over Ramrod Key helped Key West area a little bit. It limited the extent of flooding there. Uh, Obviously, it was a very large storm. uh, So you had significant surge impacts all the way up the east coast of Florida, including Jacksonville, and really all the way up to Charleston. Whereas on the west coast of Florida, it was very, it was pretty minimal by most most of the west coast of florida um and that's because the center ended up tracking you know right inland over the peninsula rather than right on the coast over there
1: do you guys deal with similar effects like we do in the outer banks to where the storm comes in you get surge on one side of an island and the surge switches around as the storm goes north or or south of the
2: area yeah that's very common with uh tropical cyclones that impact the keys Uh, And certainly was something that you saw here with this event as well.
1: Any negative surge like you was in Tampa?
2: No, we really didn't see that because we were so close to the zone of impact, you know, all the way through the Keys. You really didn't see that in the Keys. I've
1: I've got two last questions, then I'll invite our panel members. If they have anything, feel free to jump in here. One question I wanted to ask was, it seemed like the eye wall itself kind of started to deteriorate a little bit as it moved over the Keys. Of course, we eventually lost the radar out of the Key West office, and so we didn't see it uh, 100%. But was that the case? And any
2: reasons you think was that? Was it Cuba's interaction too? or uh, there it was, it was beginning its weakening trend. So as you remember, as it passed north of the Keys and crossed over Florida Bay, it was already beginning a, a slow weakening trend. So that was beginning... Uh, But obviously it was too late to really back off on the impacts. So by the time you did see it kind of elongate uh, as it reached the keys a little bit, become less organized, but the damage, you know, you already had the surge in place. You already had the winds in place. And actually, if anything, it slowed down a little bit. Uh, That was one thing that you could see for sure is the eye across the keys that slowed down and which if anything was, is only going to exacerbate the damage. So it really did not start weakening significantly until it was already through the keys. Gotcha. All right.
1: So looking back, anything did you guys learn from this storm that you're going to apply to the future?
2: Uh, certainly. Um, yeah, there was actually quite a few, uh, best practices. I think number one was uh, having that extra desk in operations, which, you know, it's taxing. Obviously you need a lot of people, but uh, having a desk just dedicated to social media made a huge difference uh, with the event. Uh, One thing that, that the Key West office did with this event that had not necessarily been done with previous tropical cyclones was a deployment so john rizzo the warning coordination meteorologist actually deployed on site with monroe county emergency management uh, and he ended up being with them for about eight days or so so he went up there the thursday prior to the impact rode out the storm in the eoc uh, and then stayed for several days after and especially when communications were bad having a weather service person on site with him was critical and we could we were using the analog phones to call them and relay information once the storm was over with but i think that that made the decision making more seamless on both sides uh also um so those were two of the best practices certainly for the event i think bringing in extra help um another thing we did another thing that the office did uh was using t- templates for the briefings and social media. Uh, so we, uh, Southern Region and the Weather Service, they had actually put a team together to develop briefing templates. And you, you know, in a major event in a Weather Service office and you're trying to get the briefings out, if you have to spend a lot of time designing it, you know, work, changing the font, loading the images in, if you, how, however much of that you can automate, it just gets your briefing information out more quickly. And same with social media, you know, you're having to play around designing a template uh, on the fly and and already having that stuff templated really helped a lot.
3: Yeah, so if I could jump in, I know you talked about uh, meteorology deployment in the EOC. Uh, We had that issue with Harvey because I worked for emergency management in a county that was north of a lot of the flooding that was going on in our offices, Austin, San Antonio. And um, so I have a weather background and I do a lot of forecasting for my office. But as you know, there were a lot of counties that were in worse shape um, down south that were dealing with a lot of flooding and impacts. And we were kind of just on the cusp. So it was very beneficial to have a meteorologist with a background to just be able to make some of those calls because we weren't going to get any calls into NWS. Austin, because they were getting all the calls down from Hayes County and Bastrop and all the, the bad counties down there. So I completely agree that having meteorology background in your EOC is a necessity for emergency management decisions.
2: Yeah, and, it, and it's, you know, honestly, it's tough. So uh, in terms of the availability, so I mean, in, in the Keys, it was easy. There was one main EOC. And so, okay, one person's going to do it. And, and we knew that John was going to be working as hard, if not harder than all of us, you know, he was going to be leaned on for a lot of questions. And we we're like, we didn't really, we didn't really have the manpower to send to, uh, it might've been a little easier with that, but you get into the major, you know, talk about Harvey, obviously you have a lot of counties being impacted and, and sometimes you have to be, you have to pick and choose with that, that part is tough. One thing I forgot to mention earlier was one of the critical decisions that we helped support was they did have to relocate the EOC prior to the storm. So the EOC was based in Marathon, really not a secure building. And the the big decision that they had to make and they waited all the way till Saturday morning, which you could do, uh, was do we go east or do we go west? uh and it, you know friday morning it was looking like well probably key west is going to be the way to go and key west had like i said city hall there was a more than one cat five certified building they could use well once we got to friday night saturday morning and the, the forecast had jogged west well no longer was that looking like the good option and so um, they moved ended up going to ocean reef which was a very smart decision as uh marathon was very hard hard hit by the storm and that was one of the decisions we made we helped support and i think having john on site with emergency management just reinforced that um
1: i'll uh jump in here with a question that i found it ironic or maybe i don't know if ironic is the word but kind of interesting that Uh, extra staff were sent in to help you and then the operations were turned over to another office Um, uh, just uh, I know that's probably not a a conflict but I'm just interested in kind of the timeline of how that how that happened I mean did you do the does the call go out to bring in the extra staff early and then at some point you just realize you have to turn the operations over or how did how did that work out
2: yeah, so the the call was made Tuesday. So remember the the storm hit on Sunday the tenth. Um, so the call was made on Tuesday the fifth to bring in extra staff. Uh, they arrived on Wednesday the sixth, and they started working on Thursday the seventh. So they were supporting us, uh, and we stayed up through the eye wall impact. So our we were still up in operational until early afternoon on Sunday the 10th, you know, so from the 7th to the 10th, that's when a lot of critical decisions are being made by our partners. That's when a lot of the, the big social media posts went out. A lot of the media messaging was taking place. Uh, you don't know how long you're gonna stay up. Um, you know, we had any weather service office, any of them, and, and I'm gonna, I'll add San Diego to that list. You know, here are our big threat as is, is obviously wildfires and things, you know, that's number one for us. Uh, but any office is designed to basically have two weeks of generator power to run after the power goes out. The problem becomes communications, obviously. So we were up all the way through the, the core impact of the storm. And it wasn't until the eye was moving away from the keys. Essentially, the damage was done that we had to turn it over. And it was an extended period after that, that we had to turn it over. But there was no way to tell what that point was going to be, you know, until it happened. However, you know, we started working with the backup office days before. So they were well prepared to, to take us over. So, you know, it does sound, you know, when it does sound, you know, well, you bring three people in and then you end up going down. but. Those three or four days between that and us going down were the that was the peak of, of our work of our support.
1: Sure, yeah, that that definitely makes sense. And how long were
4: those extra people there until they went back to their home offices?
2: Uh, so they stayed until um, they left the following Thursday. So they were there about a week total. Yeah, and they did help. Uh, they helped us post storm as well and that was simply uh, helping to cover our skeleton operations because we had a lot of like i mentioned before we had a number of folks that were whose homes were heavily damaged and they were off work as soon as the storm was over to help deal with that most of them and they helped cover that skeleton crew you know answering phones communicating with san antonio that that sort of thing that was happening in the days following uh, following the, the whole event, you know, it was it was a full time effort to get the office back online and you want to get back online as fast as you can. So I'm going to pull up one more slide. Uh, but this is sort of the what I call the Irma help squad. But it's everybody that either aided the office um, during the storm uh, either on site or remotely or especially afterwards. So uh, here's a whole list. But what becomes really critical when the storm is over with is the facility. You gotta get all, in the electronics, you gotta get all the systems back up. You have to get the facility back up and running operational 100%. And that list of folks there on the right, uh, all from throughout Southern Region weather offices, Uh, all came down. They were all physically came down to Key West and helped bring the office back. And that process really took several weeks. Um, I left uh, the end of September and the process was still ongoing. uh, Even after I left, we had another, a number of offices that came together and not only did service backup, uh, but also helped get supplies together. and, And those were all brought down as well.
1: Jared, I think you
5: had a question you wanted to jump in with here. Yeah, yeah, sure did. So I, I was just in the keys for vacation. We actually, uh, we went from Miami, we drove us one. And then later that night we drove it back and, um, it was, uh, it was sobering to see, you know, uh, even, you know, several months after the fact, just the, the damage, especially in the middle keys, uh, there. And some of the things I tried to take notice, I was driving, so I really couldn't, you know, look around too hard, but, um, but I noticed, you know, some of, you know, the surge damage there. what was the wildest thing that y'all saw during your storm surveys?
2: So there was a number of things, uh, one of them, and I don't think I have a picture of it, but let me see if I do. Uh, so one of the things that we saw was, uh, when we did the survey on big pine key was a key deer alive, uh, sitting inside somebody's house. I don't know if we I don't think that the office had ever sent that picture out. But uh you know one of the things that we thought about after the storm was I mean the ground zero of Irma's impact was the key deer habitat at those four or five islands and my understanding is the vast majority survived which is amazing. So as the first house we got to starting the, the surge survey and they're sitting in the house. It's a huge key deer buck um, <laughs> just sitting there alive. And it was very symbolic. Another thing was uh, there was a hotel uh, and gosh, this is, I'm not going to remember the exact location. I think it's North of marathon where uh, obviously it was not properly uh, fitted, <laughs> not properly uh, um, constructed to the ground and basically each unit had blown had washed completely across the highway so the hotel was oh, basically wow. on the left side of the highway um, Oh wow! Oh. and i'm not going to remember exactly where that which mile marker that was but there was a lot of amazing sites obviously you saw boats that had mm-hmm. washed north of the highway that was another very common site
0: well Matt, we appreciate uh, you coming on tonight. I know we're a little bit past nine o'clock here, so uh, we appreciate your hard work that sure. uh, that you put in down there. and now you're in a much calmer environment. I know you've yes. not been in, in San Diego long, but how's it been so far being there?
2: Uh, it's been great. Um, I you know the, the office is, the office is fantastic. Um, we have uh, arguably one of the best views of any national Weather Service office. Uh, in our operations area, there's a huge set of windows uh, that, that oversee some of the mountains uh, in north San Diego County, east San Diego County. Um, and the city's fantastic as well. So although I did see a post of a picture from the Reno office, I think it was yesterday, the sunset at the Reno office, their view looks pretty amazing as well.
0: I think it was uh, Jared, maybe a few months back, he was uh, commenting on how uh, the the view was beautiful at the San Diego office.
2: Yeah. So it it can be a little bit distracting
0: sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. So, well, Matt, we appreciate your time. Um, Sure. If our followers want to uh, follow you, maybe uh, get updates on uh, San Diego or anything like that, how can they do that?
2: Uh, So uh, my Twitter account is uh, Matt at Matt TX one There's like three T's in there, I think. Um, and obviously we encourage you to, to follow NWS San Diego, uh, both Facebook and Twitter and NWS Key West as well.
0: And uh, I know the Key West office and the San Diego office both have been uh, helping us promote this show tonight with their Twitter accounts and, and, Uh, Facebook account so we appreciate that Matt we appreciate your time Uh, stick around if you want to we're going to kind of transition towards the end of the show Uh, guys I'll leave it up to you do you guys want to do tweet of the week right quick or you want to kind of just close us out
4: if we got time I got a few I can throw up real fast I got one.
0: yeah let's go ahead we'll do tweet of the week we'll let Ricky uh, after that we'll let Ricky kind of talk about the winter weather threat for his area and then we'll, we'll close down the show if that's cool with everybody
4: Yeah, I can start with mine real fast because I know we've... uh running along with our our great interview tonight but if you live in the Charlotte area uh, then you know uh, exactly what happened probably about uh, 2 a.m. yesterday early morning we had some uh, rain and a a thunderstorm rolling on through and there was a loud really loud clap of thunder that I think woke a lot of people up Al Conklin Conklin, uh, from WBTV posted uh, some surveillance camera that someone provided to him online Uh, and you can see how it lit up the sky uh, and a brief look at Radar Scope uh, will reveal exactly where that lightning strike was you can see several uh, miles from where townhouse my home is is dotted on the map and it shook the house all of this because of the temperature inversion of the atmosphere really just kind of took that positive lightning strike and really just it, it, its reach was quite incredible although surprisingly my wife slept right on through it i don't know how that happened but
0: i i heard some of the, the audio from that that was a really loud boom so I know that surprised a lot of folks. Uh, Anybody else have theirs pulled up?
5: Yep, I got mine. All right, go ahead, Jared. All right, so we want all parents out there, you know, it's 9.19 p.m. Do you know where your children are? Are your children texting about meteorology? TBH, tornado's been here. This one comes from Emily Lenhart. Um, And the, the little meme going around. It's like, is your child texting about, you know, some random subject and, and so these are great, you know LMAo, low moisture above Oklahoma. Um, although I don't think they're laughing very hard when that happens. Uh, WTH, where where's the hurricane? Unfortunately, Matt knows all too where well where it was. Um, TBH tornado's been here, so yeah. So again, just you know make sure as you're monitoring your young budding meteorologists that you recognize the signs of meteorology and uh, can properly nurture that into a great career in the National Weather Service, we hope.
0: That's pretty awesome. I haven't seen that. That's a good one. (laughs) Uh, Ashley, I think you got yours pulled up. I'll let you go.
3: Yeah, so I wanted to share, I know it's another podcast, but I actually really enjoy listening to it. It's In the Elements, and they actually have an episode they just put out on meteorology and mental health with meteorologists. So they're supposed to talk about shift work, the effect of dealing with storms, and maybe dealing with having good mental health. Uh, This is very important to me because we see it a lot with first response as well. Um, A lot of people struggle with just dealing with the stress, uh, PTSD that comes with, you know, dealing with natural disasters and things like that. So I think that this podcast will be a great insight and I'm really excited to listen to it tomorrow. So I hope that this will stir some more discussions about meteorology and kind of that um, issue with having to deal with not only forecasting the event, but the disaster that comes with it.
0: Yeah, I've seen Becky uh, really promoting that over the past few days on Twitter. I think she and uh, Dakota Smith uh, both had something to do with that. So that's really cool. I uh, look forward to listening to that as well. Uh, anybody else has those pulled up? Um, I'll go ahead and do all mine right quick. Let me uh, – all right. Can you guys uh, – no, you can't see it. Hold on.
4: The suspense is killing me, Scotty.
0: I know, right? All right, can you guys see mine? <laughs> Yep. Yes. Ooh, All yeah. right, so we really didn't get the uh, blood moon uh, lunar eclipse here in North Carolina, but uh, this was actually shot just a little bit ago from Steve Onisorge from WBTV. Steve's a good friend of mine. Uh, he covers the western area of North Carolina, and this was his uh, shot of the moon rising this evening over Hickory, and I just thought that was really cool uh, display of the moon with some high-serious clouds in there. So that is uh, my tweet of the week from Steve Onisorge.
4: Was that other voice David Reese? David Reese, are you on?
6: Yeah, I am. Hi, James.
4: Hi. What do you got for What's us? going on?
6: Uh, something uh, I've been waiting pretty much for ever to show. Uh, McCormick is the official reporting site here in Charlottesville for snow. And, yeah, notice we're at the top of two and a half inches. Norfolk, they picked up a little bit more snow the other day. They're at over 13. Charleston, South Carolina – Jay, you have more than us, more than double. Atlanta has 4.7. Birmingham has four. Uh, Richmond, which is only about 50 miles or so as the crow flies, they have 8.4 inches of snow. And, yeah, we're stuck at two and a half.
0: Are you going to get to uh, up those totals this weekend?
6: Uh, Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. I mean, we might start off as a bit of snow and then quickly probably transition to ice. It will probably be ice longer than what is currently modeled because, hey, CAD. And then, um, yeah, eventually going over to rain, but we'll see how long the ice lasts. I'm more concerned about ice than snow, to be honest.
0: Yeah, that's that's us here in the Western Carolinas and the foothills especially We may start off initial snow and then change over to a good period of freezing rain before changing to rain as well. So, uh, Peter, do you have a—I know Ricky's going to talk about the winter weather. Peter, do you have a tweet of the week?
1: Yeah, why not? Um, Ginger Z posted this on her Twitter today that uh, someone wrote to her on Facebook and uh, saw babies' faces in her kneecaps. Yeah, here's a zoomed-in picture here. Um, I don't know. The left one could look like a little baby face, but I don't know about the right one, but, uh, yeah, that's what you got to deal with when you're on TV. You get these weird people that write to you and say these kind of things. So I thought that was kind of funny. I had a good laugh this morning. So yeah.
0: Wow. All right, Ricky, you get to follow that one up. <laughs> well, I mean, I would
1: say that I don't get weird things like that, but Hey, I actually do sometimes. So there's no limitations first off i want to share this i know this isn't a tweet of the week but it's called my uh, facebook post of the week it's kind of neat blue angel shared this of the uh lunar eclipse over the blue angel jet out in el central california so i thought that was kind of neat uh you can see that on our Air show stuff page or uh some other pages and stuff i don't know what that video is. oh that's them arriving in uh el centro but yeah talking about the snow the next couple of days scotty uh, obviously we'll have a minor northwest not northwest but we'll have a minor snow event tomorrow night in my region and then saturday into sunday looks fun because when you guys get cad we get downslope and it usually warms us up a little bit in the valleys of tennessee not always in the entire region across our area so parts of South West Virginia can sometimes be locked in with all snow um and trying to Dick P type four days out is uh, like shooting darts at a wall. So I'm not locked in on anything yet, but it's certainly something we're watching and uh, David will probably lose his power, which means he won't be joining us for another month in the Carolina weather group uh, after his brief appearance
4: tonight.
0: <laughs> he just shrugs.
4: <laughs> we still love you. David. I, I mean,
6: probably, I mean, probably, I mean, let's be honest.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh... Nobody, nobody likes ice. I don't mind snow, but I don't think anybody likes ice. That's why Matt
2: worked in Key West.
0: That's right, in San Diego. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yes, I. The older I get, the less I like snow, <laughs> ice, or sub freezing temperatures. <laughs>
0: That's
2: what I've noticed. Oh,
0: goodness, well, uh, everyone, stay tuned. Uh, Carolina Weather Group. If there is any wintry weather that breaks out, I'm sure James briarton will have our camera network system up and going and uh, letting you know what's going on throughout the Southeast. But uh, for uh, everyone here, we hope you have a great weekend. Next week, we have a special guest from the uh, uh, climate center, Southeast Climate Center, talking about um, kind of how our rainfall has been tied in with the tropical systems of late here in the Southeast. And uh, that's what will be our discussion next week. And then after that, everyone's taking the uh, week off for Valentine's Day. So, Uh, No show on the February 14th. That's for all you panelists who are married and have significant others where I'll be sitting here watching weather models on the computer. (laughs) But uh, anyways, uh, we thank you for uh, joining us tonight. Uh, As always, uh, make sure to uh, share our social media platforms, and uh, we'll keep you up to date on everything going on this weekend. So for everyone here at the
3: Carolina Weather Group, have a great weekend.